Well, being thankful all the time, or even at any time, can be kind of difficult, can't it? Uh, well, an elementary school teacher learned this one day when she asked her kids to write down all the things they're thankful for. And as you can imagine, she was walking up and down the aisles, blank paper, blank paper, blank paper, blank paper, until she got to Chad. And she was very excited because Chad had something on his paper. And the first thing on Chad's paper was glasses. And she was like, oh, Chad, I'm so thankful that you are happy and thankful for something. Why are you thankful for your glasses? To which Chad said, well, he said, it keeps the boys from hitting me and the girls from kissing me. <laughs> well, it may not be much, but it's something to build on, isn't it? You go, Chad, right? And, and we definitely need something to build on too, right? Sometimes in a disappointing year like this, it's hard to think of things to be thankful for. Um, and hopefully today is going to help you build on what you might have missed this year, my, what you were hoping would happen that didn't happen, and that's, you know, keeping you from being as thankful as you could be. Um, but we're going to study, of course, the theme verse. You have seen it all weekend long. It's, you're wearing it right now. First, that's 518, and it, we know it says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It is not something that is hard to understand. It's actually incredibly easy to understand, but in order for us to do it in real life, um, I actually think we need to get a running start to it, frankly. Uh, I think we need a little momentum build up, just like those uh, springboard divers at the Olympics, you know, how they climb up the stairs and then they stay back a couple steps, and then when they get called, they take a couple steps and they bounce a couple times before they do whatever the maneuver is that they've planned to do. I don't know what they're called, trick? I don't know. Um, but the gymnasts do the same thing, and of course we know the gymnasts could sit there and from a stationary position they could do some cool thing. But when do you ooh and ah, and when do they get the big marks from the judges? It's when they do those spectacular running tumbling passes, right? When the momentum is going and uh, they're making forward progress and they're more successful and they get better marks because of that. And I think that's what we need too. For us to be truly thankful, we have to get a running start. So I have chosen to go back two steps. We're going to go back 17, verse 17, and verse 16. We're going to start at verse 16 today instead of right at 18. Because I think that in God's sovereignty, these three were put together on purpose. It says we're supposed to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and then give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. They go together. They build upon each other. They are three directives and commands that are very closely connected. And uh, when we rejoice all the time, and when we ask God for things all the time, we will begin to thank him all the time. It's going to build momentum. It's going to help us praise God better, more faithfully. So we're going to make our way towards that springboard. We're going to take our couple steps, and the first one is to rejoice always, okay? Rejoice always. That means be happy all the time. And joy is defined as having pleasant or positive emotions. Pleasant or positive emotions. That's what joy means. 
1 John 1.4, we studied it this year at Women's Bible Study, among other things, says that God made us his kids so we would experience joy. Not just then and there in heaven, but here and now. He's talking in 1 John 1.4 about the joy we have with each other because we're Christians now. So, because of all these things, we are going to choose to look at life positively. We are going to choose to be happy, and we are going to, point number one, decide to rejoice. Decide to rejoice. Now, the main reason for us to decide to rejoice, we talked about yesterday for an hour. We're saved. You know, if you're a real follower of Christ here, he has done so much for you to prepare you for that moment and to bring you across the line from darkness to light and all the promises we talked about yesterday. Um, We talked about how you were plucked from your pagan life, your before Christ life. We talked about how you're safe until he takes you home. And we talked about how he goes through your file cabinet and signs his name on each one of the things that you are guilty of. Lots to be thankful for, lots to be happy about, lots to decide to rejoice about. Even as the world darkens, even as COVID keeps us apart and may take some of us, our family, our friends, ahead of us to see Christ, hopefully, um, we are his kids and we should be joyful. We should be. But beyond that, it's not just we should be, it is a command. We are actually told, this is a command. This is a have to. This is not a should, this is a have to, okay? But sometimes things happen that make it hard for us to do this have to, this command. One of those is found in the book of Habakkuk. I know it's hard, but I'm only gonna turn you to about three passages. I'd like you to go there with me because I need you to see it with your eyeballs. Habakkuk is um, almost to the very end of your Old Testament. It's in the middle of the Minor Prophets, but if you go almost to the end of your Old Testament and back a little bit, you'll find Habakkuk. Okay, we're going to go to Habakkuk 3. We said to rejoice is a command, and that sometimes it's hard to follow the command. This was a time it was hard. Habakkuk 3, verses 17 and 18. This is what he says. Though the fig tree does not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. This was a decision he made, and it was a decision he made when everything was horrible. He decided to rejoice. He decided to be happy, because that's what that means. Talk about a bad month, year that Habakkuk was having. Now, we've had a pretty disappointing year, but I don't think there's, well, maybe there's a couple, who knows, but in a room like this, I doubt that there's anybody who has it quite as bad as Habakkuk is describing. Probably not. He says the fig tree doesn't boast, that means he doesn't even actually have food. None of us look like we're in that situation, (laughs) frankly. I love you all, but you don't look quite as bad as Habakkuk might have looked right now. So, and he made a decision to rejoice and to be happy when he did not know, literally did not know where his next meal was coming. Not he didn't know where the next roll of toilet paper was coming. He didn't know where his next meal was coming from, and he chose to rejoice. 
It was a decision he made to be glad. It's a decision we need to make to be glad, no matter what. Because that gladness doesn't depend on our circumstances. Didn't for him and it doesn't for us. First Thess 5.16 said we are re to rejoice always. Not just when my marriage is good or my kids are obeying me or my bank account is full or I have the job that I want or I'm healthy and strong and don't have COVID or my ministry post is smooth sailing or my friendships are perfect. It says rejoice always. And you don't have to have any of those things to rejoice. But some of you say, yeah, but you don't know my situation, Carlin. It's easy for you. Look, I mean, come on. You have everything. You think I have everything. But that's what you think. Now, um, you say to yourself, I, I don't have that. I'm in a really bad situation. I want a husband, and I don't have one. I've lost my job. I have a medical condition that will never go away this side of heaven. I want a baby so bad that I cry myself to sleep every night. You don't understand. My husband, the one that I committed my life to, has completely and utterly betrayed me and just told me last week that he doesn't love me anymore. Or I've blown it so bad that I'm in a big fat mess that I can't get my way out of. You don't understand. Well, all I can tell you is this is number one, a command and that you have a loving, good dad who can help you untangle whatever it is you're sitting here with, whatever it is, is that's your excuse to not be happy and not do what this command says. Whatever it is, he can help you untangle it, or he can just sit next to you while you ride it out until he comes back. Either way. But I'll tell you what, when non-Christians, even when people at, this at the staff at the hotel or the people at your workplace see you not do this command and they see Christians sorrowful and sad and in the dumps and so negative, it confuses them. Because Christians of all people on the planet should be happy. How can we tell a watching world that the most important thing in our lives has been taken care of when they look at us and all they can see is this, you know, negative Nelly. <sighs> if our most important problem has been solved, we need to be happy. Now, rejoicing in everything is not new either. I'm going to give you just some, I mean, there's actually going to be a few times during the message where I'm going to give you this, just a list of things about gladness or about our other elements. And here's a list of times we're supposed to rejoice, okay? Luke 6, 23 and 24 says we're supposed to have joy when people persecute us because that's what they do. <laughs> John 16, 22 says we're supposed to rejoice in sorrow because we're going to see God soon. Luke 10, 6, excuse me, 10, 22 says that we should be glad no matter what people do to us because our name is written in the book of life. That was in your quiet time questions this morning. Psalm 100 says we're supposed to serve the Lord with gladness, which proves even your ministry post you're supposed to do happily. God expects us to do this, whether it's good or bad. And we don't get a pass if we just happen to be a half, glass half empty kind of gal, okay? I mean, some of us go, yeah, but that's just not me. 
I just look at the world differently than everyone else, so I get a pass on this. Well, um, Paul is going to say, we haven't got there yet, but he's going to say, this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Not everybody is wired this way. I will tell you that my personal prayer alarm that goes off for me every single day at 525, right before my husband gets home, is be positive, Carlin. That's what it says. And it goes, be positive, Carlin. It's not my default mode. You may think it is, but I have to decide to do it. It's not, sadly, confession time, it's not the way I'm wired. Um, I would be much more apt to see the dent in the beautiful Porsche than the beautiful Porsche. So I have to remind myself. I need to, sometimes when I see that alarm go off, I have to confess my sin and how negative I've been today. I have to stop making excuses for myself and about the day I had or the way people don't like my husband or whatever it is that makes me negative. It doesn't matter. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit the Bible says, which means God working in me is what makes me able to do this, even if I'm the glass half empty kind of gal. We say God is all powerful. We read in our Old Testament how he parted the Red Sea, how he sent the plagues. You know, we read how he brought manna to the millions. We, we read how he raised Jesus from the dead. Do you think that all powerful God can't make us be happy and rejoice always? Like, that's too hard for him? Okay, I'll raise Jesus from the dead, but I can't help you be happy. What? <laughs> of course he can. Now, I am not saying they're going to be perpetually giddy, okay? But if you seek it, you're going to have a much greater chance of success. If you actually try, take steps in this direction, you'll have a much better chance of being successful. Imagine waking up tomorrow, and you're just having one of those really bummed out days, right? just a negative day, just get out of bed like that, and you get a phone call from your girlfriend that she's in labor. Okay. I'm hoping that because you love your friend, that you would be able to put aside your own sadness to rejoice with her. Just like you would if your daughter came home from school and said she got the part in the school play. Or your husband came home um, and said he got that promotion he's been working for all this time. I hope that because of your love for them, that you wouldn't suck it all away and steal their joy because of your disappointment. That's the kinds of things we have to fight here. We need to just do it. When your friend says she's in labor, you just do it. You just get over there and you rejoice with her. And hopefully your feelings will catch up with you. Well, Paul continues on to prepare us to be thankful with the next one. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Or point number two, pray more often. Pray more often. It's that simple. Point number two. Now, as much as you might want to pray, pray with every minute of every day, it is literally not possible. Right? You have to drive kids places. You have to make dinner. You have to go shopping. You sit through church services. Even right now, you're thinking, well, I can't be praying right this second. You give presentations at work. You can't literally pray every single minute. I get it. Okay. Um, but I do love the image in the partner's manual, right? The image in the partner's manual of the hacking cough. Those of you who've done partners, the hacking cough, how it's always there. If you've had COVID at your house, this has taken on a whole new meaning. <laughs> and it's actually been, I mean, I hope if you've seized it, it's been a good thing as you hear that person coughing in the background 
or as you yourself have been coughing. In the last month, I'm hearing Mike cough, right? I don't hear him go, <coughs> I mean, it's not like a continual thing, right? Praise the Lord for that. That would be really horrifying. But the coughs perpetuate all throughout the day. They like punctuate in the air. I just hear one cough, one cough, one cough. Doesn't matter what we're doing. We're living life. We're, you know, eating dinner, watching TV, answering emails. It doesn't matter. Cough, cough, cough. Okay? It's a great reminder of what our praying without ceasing should be like. It should be punctuating our day. It should be punctuating our day, and I hear it at the table, in the family room, and even as he drifts off to sleep. Cough. Now, we would be hard-pressed to say that we pray even half as much as he's been coughing. And if you've had COVID, have you prayed even half? Even half, even a, a third, even a, a 25% of how much you've been coughing. Probably not. But Paul says prayer should undergird everything you do. It should never be relegated to that 30-minute time period in your quiet time. Some of you are going, what, 30 minutes? You pray 30 minutes? Okay, we should probably be praying way more than that in our quiet times. But that's not the only place we should be praying. Nor should it be relegated to the two minutes that you pray before you eat. It's supposed to be punctuating every part of your life every day. It should be building a growing dependence in you because it's like this continual uh, consciousness that's underneath the surface of your life. Um, it is not, prayers are not without interruption. They are an unbroken attitude of submission and trust. They are not without interruption, but they are an unbroken attitude of submission and trust. We pray to a God who loves us, who knows everything about us, and who wants to do good for us, and who asks us to pray. Just like rejoicing, uh, Paul is a great example of, um, he's a great example of prayer. He prays all the time. Let me remind you of things he said about prayer. He told the Colossians that he has not ceased to pray for them. He told the Thessalonians he was most earnestly praying for them, night and day. He told the Romans he mentions them always in his prayers. He told the Ephesians he doesn't stop remembering them in prayer. And then he commanded them to pray, okay? In Romans, he said, be constant in prayer. In Colossians, he said, continue steadfastly in prayer. In Philippians, he said, pray about everything. And he wasn't the only one who told us to pray all the time. Jesus did it too. In Luke 11, this one I'm going to ask you to turn to, in Luke 11, he's, Jesus has just taught what we call the Lord's Prayer. And he has taught his disciples that there should be certain elements in prayer. He's taught them to have elements of worship, of confession, of asking for things, or we call that petition. Okay? And then he shares a story. Luke 11, verse 5. To verse 8, he says this, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. But I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is, friend, is his friend, yet because of his impudence, which means his shameless and brazen asking, <laughs> He will rise and he will give him whatever he needs. He was shameless and brazenly asking again and again, and that's why he got what he asked for. Not right after that, God tells us he wants us to knock, seek, and ask. And keep at it. 
Now, our prayers should never be one and done. We've been reading through Genesis, and we saw Abraham. Remember Abraham? And when he was petitioning for Sodom and Gomorrah of all places. He goes to God, and he says, hey, if there's 50 people, will you spare them? And then he goes, well, if there's 45, if there's 40, and he keeps going. He doesn't ask once, and he's, oh, well, I tried. You know, I prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah. I prayed for our yucky world. You know, that was it. No, he kept going back again and again, and God did not give him what he asked for. Well, he would have, but sadly, there were no righteous people there. Um, There weren't enough, but he kept going back. How about Elijah? Elijah prays, and it doesn't rain for three and a half years. Wow, that is a serious prayer warrior that makes it not rain in Israel for three and a half years. And then they have that big showdown on Mount Carmel, right? And then Elijah falls to his knees, and he prays that it will rain again. Okay, Sunday school graduates, how many times did he pray? Anybody remember? How many times did Elijah pray up there on Mount Carmel for it to rain? Close. The magic number in the Bible, seven. He prayed. He got down on the ground. He prayed. And then he sent his servant. And I know some of you knew that. You just were afraid to say it. Some of you knew it. And he gets down on his knees to pray. And then remember the story? He sends his servant out to look over the ocean to see if there's a cloud starting. The guy looks. He runs back. Okay, pray again. Prayer number two, run out, look. Okay, prayer number three, run out, look. Prayer number four, seven times before there was a cloud the size of a man's hand, it says. Elijah just kept praying. At that time, God gave him what he asked him for. God does not want us to give up praying. He wants us to keep at it. He wants us to pray for the same thing, for different things, for all kinds of things, with all kinds of prayers. He wants us to keep praying and talking to him and depending on it throughout all of our day and life. Now, COVID is going to end. And with it, those coughs, cough, cough, cough. And we're no longer going to have that um, little reminder to pray. And so what are we going to do to trigger that? I had to laugh when Stephanie said that last night. We were on the same. Everybody asks, do you guys work together? Um, no, the Holy Spirit works it all out. Seriously. They're like, you map this out, right? Uh, no. Um, but she said this last night, what's your trigger going to be? Well, I have a trigger for you. I'm not going to let them pick one, sorry. Um, I have a trigger for you because we need to remember when the coughs go away, how are we going to remember to keep praying, okay? Well, we Christians, we depend on God for everything, right? But we humans depend on something else, something you do every single day, multiple times a day. We depend on something else. We thirst for something else, as Christians should be thirsting for God, right? Water, right? We thirst for water. So let's team these two things up, okay? In a way, it's never been teamed up before, hopefully, in your mind. You already know that water, that 75% of your body is made up of water. But I want to let you know what water does for your body, okay? Here's what water does for your body. It helps you digest food because it produces things like saliva and acid, and it takes wastes away for you. It also lubricates your organs, your systems, your tissues, your spinal cord, and everything else. Water also keeps you at an optimum 98.6 degrees, which if you want to really know how important that is for the well 
being of your life, talk to a menopausal woman or a person who's just graduated from COVID, and you will find that having an optimum body temperature is very important. And water helps that happen, makes that happen. Water makes you think better, sleep better, have better skin, and lighter moods. <laughs> water is critical to our health and an our overall sense of well-being. And we praise the Lord for the amazing design of water and for the abundance that we have of water, particularly for us. Now, we are utterly dependent on water, but as Christians, we should be utterly dependent on God, right? Well, we Americans, you know, we, we get used to it. We get used to having water available anytime we need it at the drop of a hat, right? We may not like how it tastes, but it is available anytime we need it, unless we live in Texas during an ice storm. We have water all the time. And uh, we might think it's kind of gross because we've got a little snooty, but I am of the generation that used to go in the backyard and drink out of the hose on a hot summer day. I see a lot of you shaking your heads. That's right, we were hardcore, right? <laughs> Drinking water from the hose. But you know, just think about it. Just think about how blessed you are every time you want water. You don't have to dig in the ground to get it. You don't have to pump a lever. You don't have to take a bucket from a thing of a river or a body of water. You don't even have to boil it. All you have to do is turn the spigot. You do understand that just like we have access to water, we have access to God. Anytime, anywhere, in any circumstance, if you're a child of God. You don't have to wait for a special time of year, like Yom Kippur, right? Where they go into the Holy Holies and talk to God. You don't have to depend on some high priest, some man to go talk to God for you. You have access to God right now. The, torn, the, the, the curtain was torn the, the day that Jesus died, right? You have access right into the Holy of Holies anytime you ask. He will hear you. We can't survive three days without water. We can't survive three seconds without the Lord God Almighty. If he was not sustaining us, we would not survive. So let's pair these things up. You're all trying to get your, you know, eight glasses a day, right? So every single time you do this, pray just for a second. This is your hacking cough right here. This is it. This is our reminder to pray. How many times do you take a drink of water all day long? I want you to pray. I don't care if you're confessing, thanking, asking. Water pray, water pray, water pray, water pray. It'll actually make you think before you're, you're walking to your water bottle. I found myself walking to it. I'm going, okay, what about, pray, pray. Got to remember, what am I going to pray for? <laughs> That's okay. And I take big old long drinks, and I make my prayers longer. I mean, it's actually funny how it's happened since I've paired them up. Make that your catalyst to pray more. Water pray, water pray, water pray. We need both of those things desperately, ladies, so let's just put them together. It's simple. So we're, what will praying more, I mean, how will praying more, I should say, help me thank God more? Well, it's gonna make you start thinking about God in your day, all throughout your day. It's gonna make you start remembering the good things God's done for you. If you are positive and if you are praying, you will it will lead you to be more thankful. Um, when we pray more and we depend on God more and all of that, 
uh, I hope that it also makes us trust him more. Because sometimes he asks us to do things that are a little harder than others. And he asks us to obey him. And he asks us to do his will, as this verse is going to tell us. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard, like it was when Jesus in the garden said, not, you know, my will but yours be done, God, and I'll do it. But we want to think about how doing these things, the praying, the rejoicing, and the thanking, is God's will. Because that's what our passage says. At the very end, we're skipping a phrase, and we're going to the very end, and it says, doing these things... Rejoicing, praying, and thanking is God's will for you. Which means point number three, we need to see gratitude as obedience. We need to see gratitude as obedience. All three of these is obedience, but particularly gratitude since that is our weekend topic. You might have thought that gratitude would just make your life easier or your family runs smoother, but obviously it's much more than that. This is the will of God for you, it says. This is a matter of obedience. It's what's expected of real Christians. Will, the word will here, it means this is God's purpose. This is God's desire. This is God's command. This is what God wants from you. You've often said, well, if I just knew what God wanted me to do, then I would do it. Okay, I've answered the question for you today. You know what God's will is for you. You don't even ask the, have to ask the question. It says it right in our passage. Here it is. Rejoice, pray, be thankful in everything. That's God's will. Now, there's a clear reference to God's will in the Lord's Prayer. Obviously, if you remember the Lord's Prayer, one of the passages that talks about it is Matthew 6.10. And he says that he, they're supposed to pray that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants his will to be done here. He wants obedience to reign here. He even asks us to pray that it will happen. So how can we do it? Well, we do it by obeying him and doing what he says. That's how we help God's will get done here on earth. We just obey him. And thankfully, God has not hidden from us what it takes to obey him, particularly in this passage. This is like that booth at Fall Fest, which I don't know, do we have it anymore? But at Fall Fest, where they used to, for the very littles, where they used to hide the candy in the sawdust or the hay bales and basically would just set the the little snickers on top of the hay bale they didn't have to dig it was just it was it was a set on top booth right it's just set on top there well this is a set on top command there's no digging necessary uh, it's embarrassingly easy to see what his will is for us uh, so we better get it right right we're, we're like the littles just walk up and do it there it is set on top he's telling us to thank him and it's the way that we please him and obey him. It's not optional. This weekend is not optional. When you get home, you don't get to just let this go away. This isn't just wise advice. This is a command of God. But he enables us to do it. His spirit invaded us, and he can help us do it, no matter what we're finding when we drive in the driveway at home. We said it was a fruit of the Spirit, right? That joy was, well, His Spirit's going to help us do this, all of it. Rejoicing, praying, thanking. He's here to help us. Um, now, being grateful is something that we could be like our kids sometimes are to Aunt Nellie, okay? It's Christmas time, it's Aunt Nellie, and the Christmas tree's there, and the presents are there, and... Uh, 
our kids are looking at her and going, thank you, with their syrupy, sweet, plastic smile on their face as they look at the pack of socks in their lap instead of the Hot Wheels. That was the thing. It's funny because now my sons would love the socks. But when they were five, mm, not good. And they would look at Aunt Ellen and go, thank you. Now, we could say thank you like that. But just like you cringed when your kids did that because you knew it was wrong, so too we should cringe if we're just being obedient to this command and being grateful and thankful because we have to, because we ought to, because we learned about it this weekend and we're going to be obedient to it. But we don't really mean it. We're just going to force ourselves to do it. It's horrible, just like it is to Aunt Nellie. It's bad. We don't want to do that. Um, God says he doesn't want us to do that. He tells us in his word that we should not be doing this or any other command of scripture by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. That's what he wants us to do. It goes for all three. He wants us to be positive. He wants us to pray. And he wants us to thank God earnestly, sincerely from the heart. But frankly and honestly, I will tell you that he'll take it either way. You have to do it either way. But he would much rather you do it because your heart is connected to it, because you truly are grateful. But he wants you to do it regardless, and he's expecting your heart to come along beside it, behind it, and just get there and feel it. But he'll take it either way you do it. Now, the hardest part, I think, personally, of being grateful is getting rid of the opposite. And what's the opposite of gratitude? Stephanie talked about it last night. What's the opposite of gratitude? Ingratitude, complaining, whining, grumbling. We have had a whole week of it in our daily Bible reading. I mean, like, come on. It was just jumping off the page. I mean, this morning it was the snakes, right? Because they were loathing the food. The snakes were biting them. Like, if you, didn't, if you did not get how God hates grumbling and complaining this week, you have not been reading with us. It's just all over the Bible. The hardest thing we're going to have to do is cut that out, okay? Cut that out and stop that. It's going to be like pulling weeds. We pull them, and it just comes back, and it just comes back, and it just comes back. But we have to cut out that complaining. And sadly, I'm, I'm sad to think, but I work with women all the time, and I am a woman. I think this has become one of those acceptable sins in the church. You know, we're just giving our viewpoint, you know. We're just trying to say how it would be better, you know. But really, it's just grumbling. It's just complaining because it isn't the way you wanted it to be. Um, and we all point the finger and go, yeah, it's the world. The world is like that, right? They're just grumbling all the time. Okay, but really, is it just them? Really? Hmm. Think of the daughters of the king that you know that are complaining because they have to park so far away at church. How about that we have to meet outside? How about that you don't like the way the pastors have handled COVID? How about the fact that we didn't get to sing today? Or there's too many carbs in the food? Or your roommates kept you up too late? Uh, it's all complaining. It's all complaining. We become black belts at this skill. And sadly, no one had to teach us, and we didn't have to go to the gym even one minute to be an expert at this. This is what we have to cut out in order for us to actually do this 
and see gratitude as obedience. We have to cut this stuff out. I heard something so good this week. It said a bad attitude is like a flat tire. You can't go anywhere unless you change it. <laughs> good one, huh? Well, in God's sovereignty, as I was preparing this actual message, I was in a 10 by 10 cave. Now, granted, it was a comfortable cave, but I was quarantining for 14 straight days while my husband was in the throes of COVID upstairs. And I was locked, like I said, in a cave. And um, if you go to Bible study, you know that we happen to be repiping. So that all came to a screeching halt. And um, so not only was I in my, and it was a comfortable cave, don't get me wrong, but I was rooming not just with the guest room items, but I was rooming with every wall hanging from the downstairs, the entire paper towel roll stash, all the liquid soaps, the toilet plunger, and I had my little spot on the bed. There's a picture of it for you. That was my cave. And like I said, it was a comfortable cave, don't get me wrong, but it was still, I was awake 17 to 18 hours a day, conscious in that room for 14 days by myself. It's not the easiest. If you've had to do it, it's, granted, I didn't have COVID, I get it, but it's still not easy. But if you look really closely at that picture, you'll see what God and his sovereignty decided to have right over my shoulder. Now, you're thinking, in everything, give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Your sweatshirt was on my shoulder. As I sat there with my laptop, all those days, all those hours, and it's weird, I have to say, it's weird when you're not the one who has COVID because you literally are treated like a leper. I mean, the whole, you know, unclean, unclean. I mean, if you never saw the Old Testament leprosy thing, don't show up at anything. What are you doing? I'll drop it on the driveway, but don't come out to talk to me. It's, I mean, I'm making fun of it, but it's hard. I won't make you raise your hand if you were quarantined and didn't get it, but it's hard. I almost wish I had gone in there and sat with him, to be quite honest. I know that sounds terrible. You're like, you didn't have it. Okay, if you're well and you're stuck in there, and everyone treats you like a leper and won't meet with you and won't talk to you, it's hard. And that was over my shoulder. And I was preparing this message. Because God in his sovereignty knows exactly what um, our days are gonna hold. He had this planned out for me when I picked this thing for my guest room three years ago. He knew this day was gonna come and that I was gonna need that reminder because he wanted me to teach this and say to you, don't make this academic. Do this, live this, be this. Don't get up there, Carlin, and say, be thankful. Okay, I could have said that. But instead he said, I want you to live it and I want you to feel it. And I wish I could tell you that every single hour, I was going, in everything, give thanks. Um, but I will tell you that I was way more thankful than I would have been because of that sign, because of that verse, because of this minute right now. 
he gave me the will to fight. He gave me the will to fight the complaining and the grumbling. And uh, he reminded me almost immediately, he would go, yes, yes, and you're gonna stand there at La Jolla someday and you're gonna talk about this. Yeah, he made me fight the feelings and the thoughts and the irritability and the complaining. And he helped me. He started making me think of things like, wow, I'm thankful for my warm and comfortable bed. I am thankful, as I was saying that, I'm thankful for my ceiling fan. You know, moving air is really a cool thing. <laughs> so are bamboo sheets. If you do not know what those are, you have to come talk to me. It will change your life. <laughs> every guest and every person in my home sleeps in bamboo sheets. And I didn't get COVID, and I had a laptop that worked, and I had streaming services, and I had friends who brought me treats, left them on the driveway, but th brought me treats, <laughs> texted me, and, um, I didn't get it, and neither did my daughter, and we both lived exactly the same way, except she lived right above me in a different cave, shut in like that for 14 days. So um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting, but it, God wanted that to happen because he wanted me to be grateful, and he wanted me to be able to share that you can be grateful too. And you can be grateful if you get COVID. If you get COVID tomorrow, you will remember this weekend, and you will be grateful. You'll be more grateful because of it because you have the words across your sweatshirt and hopefully across your mind, give thanks in everything, or in everything, give thanks as my, and it doesn't look like that anymore, praise the Lord. The house is all back to normal and everybody is good. Um, now the griping and the grumbling of course weighs us down, but it also offends our God. And if you didn't see that in our daily Bible reading in the last few weeks, I, yeah, you weren't paying attention. It offends our God. He gives us everything. He gave them everything. And all they could talk about is how they wanted to go back to Egypt. Ugh! Don't you just want to go shake them? Okay, well, then you go, okay, how do I hold myself and shake myself, right? You want to shake them? Uh, somebody come shake me, because I do the same thing. So we got to cut it out. <sighs> We need to be thankful for this weekend. We need to be thankful for even the fact that, yeah, we're all distanced, and yeah, we have box lunches, and yeah, we can't sing, but we're here. We didn't have COVID this week, and we got to come. You know, we got to be with our sisters. We got a break, for those of you who did, with, from your kids. And you have, you know, yes, your husband is more fun and messier and fast food dependent, maybe, but they got to make memories with dad this weekend. There's a lot to be thankful for. So let's do God's will from our hearts, ladies. Let's rejoice, let's pray, let's thank him because Christians should be characterized by it. Ephesians 5.20 says this, give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So good. All right, now you're gonna go, what? That was kind of all warm up because now we're at the actual phrase that's on your sweatshirt, okay? We're actually at point number four, which is the heart of this whole thing that we're supposed to give thanks in all circumstances. It's really that simple. Verse four, excuse me, point four is choose gratitude every day. Choose gratitude every day. This is easy to understand, difficult to put into practice, difficult to apply every day. Yes, we have to choose it in order for it to become our default mode. We want praise to become our pattern. We want gratitude to stick. So let's talk about that part of it. First of all, it says give thanks. Give thanks actually means to express it. It actually means to say you appreciate God or someone else. 
It, in other words, you're not supposed to just think thankful thoughts. We like to do that, that's good and everything, but this verse, give thanks, means actually expressing it and saying it to God or others, okay? Um, it, it's one of the reasons why November kind of bugs me, kind of bugs the people at my house. Well, I don't know about Stephanie, but okay, Stephanie too, she's joined, she's joined the fam in that. But Thanksgiving kind of bugs us. I mean, uh, November I should say, not Thanksgiving. November kind of bugs us. Everybody jumps on the bandwagon with all the things they're thankful for, which is awesome and positive. That's great. But they're not directing their thanks to anyone. In fact, when the non-Christians jump on the Thanksgiving bandwagon in that month, who are they really thankful for? Themselves. They're saying, I'm so thankful that I've accomplished this, or my family of this, or I've done this. There's no directing it to God. There's no, you know, appreciating the one who gives them everything to enjoy, even the work ethic they have, and the ability to earn money that they have comes from God. So they're not really directing it to him. And if non-Christians aren't going to do it, we have to. Stephanie talked about this on, on Friday, but Romans 121 says they don't honor God and they don't give him thanks. It has to be us. Romans 121 has said that. The ingratitude is everywhere you look. It's in our freeways, our classrooms, our stores, our workplaces. If non-Christians are not going to give him glory and praise him like he deserves, we have to. He needs to be the object of our praise, and we have to choose to do it. Paul says that we should be giving thanks in all circumstances. Now, that's the rub, isn't it? I mean, the giving thanks part is hard enough, but the in all circumstances makes this even harder. Um, this means that whether we're walking through flowery meadows, oh, or maybe hitting a speed bump or two, or the landmines are blowing up in your life, we're supposed to give thanks in all circumstances. Now, it should remind you, probably, your brain goes to this, Romans 8.28. It is the most often quoted verse to Christians by Christians in the whole Bible. But it is an important verse, and I do want you to turn there, because this is the time. This is the moment. Give thanks in all circumstances when we have to remember what Romans 8.28 really says. Okay? Now, as you're turning there, I would ask you to remember that Romans 8 is one of the most encouraging chapters in all of your Bibles. Before we even get to verse 28, and even after verse 28, keep going, but I won't talk about that. But before we get to verse 28, Romans 8 tells us we have no condemnation because we're in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 tells us that God, the Holy Spirit, comes to live inside of us. Romans 8 tells us that we are adopted and we get to call God Abba Father. Romans 8 tells us that our present sufferings don't compare with the glory that we're going to get on the other side. I mean, that's all before we get to 28. And it even gets better after 28. But 28 says this, For those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. You see, Paul firmly believed in the sovereignty of God, and he knew that when things went wrong, that God had a plan, and he was going to work it for good. And not just his good, but our good too. Both goods. Both ways. He says this promises for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That means real Christians, people who have surrendered their life to Christ and had him take care of that file problem that they have. He says he will work it for good. That means God's going to use even your worst heartaches for positive ends. And I know I could have probably every single one of you come up and say how God had used some horrible situation in your life for good. And you know this verse is true. 
and we would all encourage one another, and that would be great. Um, we don't thank God for the pain and the evil, but we thank God for the good that will result from the pain and the evil that we go through. But what good could there possibly be? Well, I came across some in the Bible, and I'm just going to list them for you, but 1 Peter, 6, excuse me, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says that the tests that we face, they prove the genuineness of our faith. The tests and the hard times you face prove whether you're a Christian or not. Romans 5.3 says the suffering that you go through produces endurance and character maturity. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says that God comforts you. That's a good in your trials. Maybe the number one good. 1 Corinthians 1.4, the next verse says that he equips us to comfort others because we got comforted in our trials. 1 Corinthians 1.11 says that when we tell people we're hurting and he answers their prayers, God gets more glory. That's a good. Philippians 1:12 to 14, Paul says, even though I'm stuck in jail, even though I'm confined and can't be the missionary that I want, the gospel is being shared inside the jail and it's being shared outside the jail because people are more motivated to share because of it. There's another good. That was six goods right there. Three, four, five, six. Is it six? One, two, three, five, six. Six goods from bad, and they're all over your Bibles, but there's some, some examples. And uh, just like I said, Paul was a prayer and a rejoicer. He was always a thank, also a thankful person. And I just typed in the word thanks to see how, was Paul really like this? I mean, is he really like this? Here's some examples of things that he thanked for, thanks God for. He thanked God for the church plants. He thanked God that they were reproducing and sharing the gospel. He thanked God that those people were maturing. He thanked God for his broken body, for his forgiveness. He thanked God for the people he served next to and their giftedness and their friendship. He thanked God for answers to prayer, for strength, for spiritual victory. He thanked God for the future. And you know what? In your Bible, he wrote all of that for you to see. He's, he's constantly thanking God, and he's sharing it with you out loud, what he's thankful for. Now, how can we thank God and keep thanking him? Well, I came across a sermon by a guy named Dr. Chris Rapazzini. Dr. Chris Rapazzini, and he's a professor at Moody Bible Institute, and his sermon was called this, Becoming a Thanksgiver at Thanksgiving. And I liked the four points that he just really quick really quick points of how to be a thanksgiver at thanksgiving. He said, these are four ways to be thankful. He said, first of all, letter A, we need to be specific. Be specific. You like specific praise and thanks, as opposed to someone going, thank you, instead of going, well, thank you for spending so long making those mashed potatoes that I really like with a special little, you know, uh, cheese on the top and the bacon. I mean, don't, wouldn't you rather have the second thank you than the first? Yes, you would. So be specific. That's how you like thanks to come to you, so give thanks like that. Be specific. Letter B is be honest. We already talked about this, but you have to be sincere. You have to mean it. You have to be authentic when you thank God and when you thank others. This list can be used with God or others. So you be specific, be honest. The third one, letter C, is be public. Express thanksgiving so that people know it, so they hear you doing it. Tell others and God you appreciate them when people are listening. That's the be public. And the last one, letter four or letter D, be permanent. 
be permanent. We need to write down our thanks. A handwritten card, and Stephanie brought this up last night, but a handwritten card becomes a keepsake for the person. I know a lot of the younger generation think a text is good enough. Just frankly, let me just be honest, it's not, and it isn't for you either. Just getting that little thank you for that donut you dropped off, as opposed to someone writing, wow, you went out of your way for me, and then taking the extra time to write it, okay? Or writing in your journal to God. It's a permanent record, right? Be permanent, whether it's a card or a journal, something concrete. So be specific, honest, public, permanent when you give thanks. And practically, I think this means that before we ask God for something next, that we need to stop and thank him for something first. And uh, there was a plaque I came across this week, and here's what it said. What if you woke up today with only the things you thanked God for yesterday? What if you woke up today with only the things you thanked God for yesterday? Now, obviously, I don't have a chapter and verse on that, but that's a really good thought, isn't it? We don't want to be like the nine lepers. Remember that story, the nine lepers who Jesus, they asked God to help them, and he did, and they didn't stop to say thank you? What do we call people that don't say thank you? <laughs> In grades. We also would consider them immature. We consider them children. And frankly, the scripture says they're non-Christians. At least they're acting like them. We don't want to be them. So if you read Heather's amazing blog on the way down, and you prayed on your way down, I hope and pray that you were all thanking God on the way back up for what he did this weekend. Don't just ask him, make sure you thank him. Oh, to be thankful for everything good and bad. Well, let's start with little things. How about, everybody do this. Take a breath. Thanking God for the little things. How about the breath you just took? You know you take eight to 16 of those every minute? That's 23,000 a day. 23,000 breaths. You brought oxygen in and you took carbon dioxide out. You never gave it a second thought until COVID. How important that breath was, did you? I read a story of a sweet 93-year-old man who got COVID in Italy. And at some point, the doctor came in and they said, you need to be on a ventilator. And it's 5,000 euros a day, which translates to $6,000 a day. And the old man began to cry. And uh, the doctor was quick to go, don't worry about it. You know, we'll take care of it. We'll figure out some way to handle this. You really need this machine. And the old man said, well, I, I'm not crying about the money. I can pay. He said, I'm crying because for 93 years, God has given me every breath I have for free, and I have never stopped to thank him. Wow. Do you think we could thank him for the little things? Let's thank him for the little things. So what are the little things? The breaths you take? that you don't have COVID, that you're here. The sunshine, the full belly, whether you liked breakfast or didn't, you have a full belly. Uh, you're not wasting away. The treasure that we have, how about his word, his spirit, our church? How about whatever home and people you're going back to? And the full closet, garage, or pantry that sits there waiting for you. Okay. You have power, you have shelter, you have people, you have him. Let's stop and thank him for the little things. 
Now, it turns out that gratitude is something that people in our world have started to study quite a bit. Maybe because of COVID, I don't know, but lots of universities and things are having these studies on gratitude. And what they're finding is the people that they ask to spend more time being grateful have all these wonderful things happen in their life. These people are happier, they're healthier, they have less anxiety, and they live longer. And if they are part of the study and they're part of the grateful section, whatever the study was, and they were being more grateful, they find that these uh, benefits last long-term in their lives. Even long years later, these studies that have been taking place, if they were of the grateful chunks, they're still grateful years later because of the things that they did. Now, if the non-Christians have these interesting results, imagine what would happen for Christians. One of the things that they had them do in, in one of these studies was to write down what they're thankful for. Now, we talked about it with Chad, right? We talked about it with Dr. Rapazzini's thing, and now this study is saying, write it down. They spent only five minutes a day, at the end of every day, writing in a journal what they're thankful for. Five minutes, that was it, then they stopped. And they ended up being healthier, happier, more grateful, less anxiety for the long haul, for doing that one thing. Now. Five minutes is nothing, but that is going to be the culmination. I know it's not really bells and whistles, but it's a practical way for us to apply this whole weekend. I'm gonna ask you to write every night for five minutes. I don't care how you do it. You can put it in your phone, your laptop, your cell phone, your yellow pad, a journal. It doesn't matter, but I want you to write for five minutes. And I'm gonna ask you just to bullet point it every day, like this study did, and uh, have this become something that becomes a pattern in your life. Ask Alexa, you got an Alexa in your, Alexa, set an alarm for five minutes. Siri, set an alarm for five minutes. Write until the five minutes is over and then stop. You're done, you've done it. That's all you've done is bullet point it. I can guarantee you, number one, you're gonna be a more grateful person if you do that every day. Number two, it's not gonna be enough time. You're gonna go, oh, I just got started. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay, just keep going. I mean, you know, the next day. I'm not saying, I don't want you to add this to your life like you're adding this humongous thing that you're never gonna be able to do. We want it to be easy, but we want it to be measurable too. Something you can do that you can keep doing and you can know you've done, but will actually make a lasting difference. So I'm gonna ask you to write five minutes a day, that's it. Some of you are gonna to say to me, well, can't I just say it? Uh, okay, okay, yes, you can say it. But writing it would be better to cement it, have a permanent record of it. And I actually think getting more than one sense involved, more than one, all of your body into it is much more um, impactful and will stick with you longer if you actually write it. But you can say it, but I am hoping that you're saying thanks God on some of your water prayers. So you're already saying thanks, so let's write some. Um, if you decide to do this, it'll never be enough time and you'll start to, to wanna get your other family members involved in it. You wanna add more time and you'll wanna have more people. But I'm confident it will make you more thankful. And I actually am hoping that you'll do some other things, that you'll begin to um, be more positive and more happy and more thankful, and then that you'll be praying more of those water prayers, and then you'll be writing, that all three of these things will make you more grateful people as you go back to whatever you're going back to. Now, obviously, it's, it's an uphill battle. There's no doubt about it. It's an uphill battle to be grateful. In 2020 and 21, with the restrictions that we have, with the state mandates, with distance learning, with health problems, frankly, with masks, with curtailed events, 
It's tough. It's really hard. It is much easier to be discouraged than it is to be grateful right now. That's why I want to leave you with a story of a man who had many, many reasons to be discouraged, but who chose something different instead. Let me tell you his story. When he was seven, his family was forced from their home, and they sent him off to work at seven. At nine, his mom died. He lost his job at 20, and then his first love died at typhoid, of typhoid. He sought to attend law school, but didn't have the education. At 23, he bought a small store, but just a couple years later, his partner died and left him in debt that took years to repay. At 28, after he'd been dating this gal for four years, he proposed marriage to her, and she said no. He tried three different times to be elected to Congress, and at age 37, he finally succeeded, but then he failed to be reelected. His son died at four years old, and actually all, only one of his four sons lived to adulthood. When he was 45, he ran for the Senate, and he lost. At 47, he ran for the vice presidency and lost. At 51, he was elected the president of the United States. You might know his name, some of you. His name is Abraham Lincoln. He faced discouragement time and again in his life, but he was the one in the middle of the worst conflict we've ever had in this country that said, it's time for us to have an annual national day of Thanksgiving across every state. He's the one who made that proclamation during the Civil War in 1863. That's the man who called for this, and those are the times in which he called for it. But I want you to hear his proclamation. Um, he had just discussed the strides that the country was making and how there was a population boom, believe it or not, even during the Civil War. How their crops were, um, and their industry and their natural resources were all abundant and they were just increasing. And they were living in great harmony with other nations and other countries, all during this horrific national conflict. So he's just talking about all the good things that are happening in the country, and then he says this. No human counsel has devised, nor has any mortal hand worked out these great things, all the positive stuff he's just shared. He says, these are gracious gifts from the Most High God, who while dealing with us in anger for our sins, has nevertheless remembered to be merciful to us. And he continues, it seemed to me fit and proper that they, these blessings from God, should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States, but also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands, to set aside and observe this last Thursday of November next as the day of Thanksgiving and praise to the benevolent, kind Father who dwells in the heavens. That was what our president of the United States said in 1863. He knew how important it was to give thanks in all circumstances, no matter how trying they were. And uh, I know it's tough out there. I know you're going home to something that is absolutely 100% no different than what you left. My hope is you're going home different people. You're going home people who are positive and people who are committed to praying and people who are committed to, thank, committed to thanking God no matter what. And again, as I've said, that we are people who praise God and that our gratitude sticks because our God deserves it. Let's pray.
Dear God, I just want to thank you because I, I know that you, um, well, you have given us everything we have. And we should have hundreds of things on our page if, if our teacher said, write all the things you're thankful for. And uh, I, I thank you for the weekend that we had because I know it, it may not have changed our circumstances at all, but it brought to remembrance things that um, we should have been thinking about, but maybe we weren't, that you have done for us. Thank you so much for all the things you've given us. Thank you for the breath that we've breathed, all the ones that we've been breathing in this last hour. Thank you for the sisters that are beside us. Thank you for the beautiful weather and the beautiful place we've been. Thank you for your word. Thank you for our church. Thank you that we were healthy enough to be here. And of course, we thank you for our salvation and a hundred other things. We thank you for the fellowship that we're going to have as we drive home. And uh, I do pray that these things would stick in our minds, that we would uh, be more apt to remember what you've done that's good instead of the, the dent in the Porsche. I do thank you and pray that we would be ones that are reminded when we take our water bottles to be that hacking cough, praying without ceasing. And I do ask that you would help us to be thankful even for the little things and just even take the five minutes it takes to write out our thanks to you before our head hits the pillow at night. We want to be women who do your will. We want to be women who in everything give thanks. And we want to be able to wear our sweatshirts with a sincere heart and uh, to be different because of this weekend, because our gratitude sticks. In Jesus' name, amen.